Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 344. If he coughs, that's how you know he's happy. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. To my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Look, I'll, I'll quickly run through what we've got coming up later on in, in the show. Please. We've got Rob Lloyd. Uh-huh. Uh, who is the host of Live on Bowen. Uh-huh. But you might know him from uh, when he pretends to be Doctor Who. Yeah, my challenge will be that I will not talk about Doctor Who to Rob Lloyd. Let's yeah. see if I can carry that through. I look forward to that. But yes, he has one mention called Who Me, which I think we will not mention at all. Let's not mention that. Let's only mention Live on Bowen okay. when, when he's here. So we're going to talk to him uh, and, and find out what it's like to host a show on community television. Uh, we have a review of the US show Hannibal. We've got one thing. We've got a letter to box cutters. Just one. Just the one. We have to find out what is under Ben's hat. Ben, what 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 sort of what sort of hat is? Yeah, what, what do you call that then? Well, it's more of a visor, really. You know, it's one of those little this, green. Um, this is for the benefit of those not watching the video podcast. It's one of those little green accountancy visors. Really, this, and I, I know, I know. It, you might say, "How can you have anything under that hat?" Because yes. it doesn't seriously have a top. Well, or is it a hat? You will be even. surprised. Or is it even a hat? Is I'm pushing the boundaries. You are really this week. You're quite edgy. Because I, I would say that is just visor and band. I can assure you, there's facts under it, though. So don't worry about that. <laughs> well, I, lo- I look forward to that. I, would, I look forward to that, Ben McKenzie. As always, though, we <laughs> kick things off with the box cutters news. Look, in, in, very, in very quick news, uh, Amazon has the rights to, uh, I think, pretty much all of Viacom's back catalogue, which means that they have everything from I Love Lucy to uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. In the great TV wars that is online distribution, the, the new TV wars, that's, that's how they'll be remembered, even... 200 years in the future. Oh, the new TV wars. Uh, between uh, b- between Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix, Amazon has uh, has won a huge battle this week uh, get, getting the, the Viacom back catalogue. Uh, I wonder what Netflix is going to come up with. Probably more original programming that people really like. And this is for streaming, presumably, for people this to is, stream. This is for streaming, for, for uh, downloading and watching on their own, uh, but, you know, rentals as well, and mm-hmm. th- th- things like that. So... Look, we'll wait and see what, what's happening, but I, I think in, uh, you know, no good war correspondent uh, doesn't give blow-by-blow descriptions. If I was George Negus, that's how I would do it. Yeah. Also, if I was George Negus, I'd talk about really serious issues like Greece's Greece public broadcast. has gone insane. Look, this is a massive story, and I will say by the time you've heard this, it will have moved on, basically, in three days. It will have changed again. So we're going to very, very quickly give you a very shallow overlook of this. Tuesday, the 11th of June, the Greek government, at around 11 o'clock in the middle of a news broadcast, shut down ERT. ERT is the national broadcaster. And when I say shut down, I mean the TV stations, the radio... Uh, I think there might be a symphony orchestra in there. ERT is a whole thing. They shut it all down. There was no notice given. The staff weren't told. I think uh, 2,700 employees basically got told they were fired. All right, that's already a weird start. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is because, of course, Greece is having financial problems. They've been told they have to 
have austerity movements, which incidentally looks like the whole austerity thing for making the economy work may be based on a typo. That's something else you should Google. That's really interesting. Uh, what, like they were going for posterity? Well, well there's a whole thing about um, you don't actually get out of of a recession by not spending money. You only get out of it by spending money. That's why Australia actually survived when we did the the, yeah. the, the plasma bonus. Stimulus. I think it was called. Yes, yeah, yeah. stimulus. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it could be that Greece is actually already doing the wrong thing to save them, but that's, that's a whole other podcast. Anyway. So, so cre- creditors, creditors to the Greek government said that they had to cut public employment, uh, and the Greek government decided to do that by shutting down... And public spending. Yeah, and, uh, and so Greek PM uh, Antonis Samaras has basically said that it was a... I've got to find the quote. It was a haven of waste, he said, ERT, and that it would be shut down and was shut down immediately. So, so assumedly these uh, creditors would be fiscal conservatives, uh, much along the lines of the people who attacked the BBC in the well, UK, and would be wetting themselves about having well, a government broadcast yes. to go down. If they could do that to the BBC, the amount of bitching that we that we get from Murdoch over in the UK about the BBC but is... But yes and no. This is the weird thing. So Samaris is, he was apparently quite right-wing, as has now sold himself as a less right-wing figure. He's in a coalition government, I believe, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get Back to ERT in a moment, though, because it looks like the haven of waste thing may be true in some degree. That's that's the other part of this issue. But the thing that happened when they closed it down in the middle of the news broadcast, just got switched off, was that the journalists for ERT blockaded themselves in the building uh, and were trying to continue running a news service with no anything. And they were using mobile phones, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they were keeping the website going. They'd managed to change, I think, the login so they could keep the, the news going at the website. Have they turned the power off to the I building? think the power then got switched off as well. Um, you can find an interview with one of the journalists on the media show, the BBC radio show, which uh, will probably still be on the iPlayer when this goes to air. Maybe not. Uh, but it was just a, a fascinating... So that was all going on. The EBU, the European Broadcasting Union, has now put together... I think 51 of them have signed... A petition to go to the Prime Minister saying oh, that this is undemocratic. Uh, that's the EBU who we know from Eurovision. So that's another weird thing as well. Uh, sorry, 55 uh, public broadcast service chiefs uh, signed the EBU petition. Also that the EBU helped uh, e- ERT staff run a pirate television station that was uh, that was coming off an Israeli satellite. Oh, yes, and then being beamed back into Greece. Yes. And yes, several stations around Europe showed solidarity. Uh, Arte in France was broadcasting their news programs with Greek subtitles, and Tele Brussels in Belgium changed its on-screen logo to ERTs from noon to midnight on the Wednesday, the day after. So it's this huge European-wide... Uh, phenomenon. And like you're saying, we we automatically assume that this must be some crazy right-wing conspiracy. Uh, do you know what I get told by, by I was asking around today um, to try and get more of a feel? Because we don't know what ERT is, and I'm still not quite sure You know whether it's... Is it more like the BBC? Is it more like PBS? It's hard to really know. Mm-hmm. Um, people have said that it was a low-rating station, that the commercial stations all rated more, why should their money blah, 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 be going on? I did get told by someone, this may be apocryphal, that apparently the very small amount of garden ERT has has 75 gardeners because it is a big thing that every government will give cronies jobs at ERT. It's a place for just creating jobs right, and throwing people in this. And that's all governments, I think, of all stripes in Greece. So it certainly looks like there was... There probably was a way of redoing ERT. I believe it's 300 million euro a year is is their budget, which doesn't seem that much to me in all honesty. Mm. But certainly, as everyone's saying, you would start by trimming it. You don't just switch it off overnight. It's such a weird thing to do. And they're saying, also, if they get away with it, what does that 
like what's next it, it does it does also seem weird that in uh, in an effort to uh curb your your uh, economic problems you would increase unemployment is it, this is a bad it's way of, of yeah session. exactly yeah <laughs> But it is. It's been an amazing story, and it's continuing to go on. I believe there are now strikes happening in Solidarity, which they're saying is actually this calls for um, perhaps another election. Uh, it's it's made the country less stable, which you know, at a time in which Greece isn't really renowned for its stability. And it does also just feel like this is some sort of really weird 1970s BBC teleplay by someone like Dennis Potter. You know that it's like the home of democracy, getting rid of its TV station. It's just odd. And, and I mean, that's that. That is why it's such a, a big thing, though, because every time that uh, Radio Caracas Television was was closed down by Hugo Chavez, everyone just went, "Oh well, it's a, it's just another day that that's happening, and it'll open up again in a in, in a couple of weeks, or uh, you know, something new will take its place, and there'll there'll always be something because the president needs his voice to to be heard." This is a democratic country. Yes, that is closing down or has just just uh, w- without without even consultation. Well, I think without notice is is the thing that makes it frightening. The fact that you can just switch it off that was the weird thing I think for everyone to know. There's a button you can press and go, no, that's it, you're all gone. But Samaras now is kind of sort of backing down, saying that they will now build a new ERT, but a slimmer, cheaper version. This is this is quite a back down apparently, which happened I think today when we were recording this on Monday. Which, again, no one knows what that means. They're saying, oh, and everyone will be entitled to you know, apply for their own jobs. And it's, it's all really odd. Maybe he could uh, speak to, to our next guest, Rob Lloyd, about uh, you know, how they do things at Channel 31. And the other thing I wanted to mention, which uh, Brett brought up before, was the idea of the, the crazy right-wings who always want to try and close down these sorts of programs. And, of course, this has led to crazy, crazy nutbags in the UK doing the whole, well, maybe we should get rid of the BBC. Maybe it's a good idea. So, uh, to which the BBC keeps pointing to a report that it had done back in January, which uh, by Deloitte, or Deloitte, Deloitte. Deloitte uh, which showed that in the period of 2011-2012, it cost £4.3 billion to run the BBC, and it generated £8.3 billion. So effectively, the BBC makes twice as much money as it costs to make. And incidentally, ERT was funded again on a license model like the BBC, except that it came on your power bill. Oh. You paid like four dollars thirty or something in your power bill, which was to keep a TV station going. I think it's cute. I, I like that. If you yeah. if you have electricity, we're going to assume that you have a television. Yeah, maybe like a bonus. You know, get power from us. We'll give you a telly. Well, I hope if you get that telly, it is not a 3D television, because 3D TV... Is dead! It's on the way out! No, Josh, surely it's the way of the future. (laughs) That's why we've got that that reserved 3D test channel here. Don't let that very real door hit you on your 3D ass on the way out. ESPN is pulling the plug on its 3D sports channel. It is the first to go, and and three D was the only, like sports was the, sports, the, only, the only place that made sense. Yeah, yeah the yeah. only place where three D actually happened, and uh, and ESPN is going, nah, it's dead, mm. it's dead. All these people with all these, the New York Times is a fantastic photo of just all these kind of discarded three D glasses from <laughs> televisions, and it just yeah, we you're, you're right, Brett. We have that we have that channel. Right, we have that channel. Nothing is happening on mm-hmm. it. We have been smugly saying this though for quite a while, like in a box cutters since, since since it started. started. <laughs> yeah, so I think you really you just bring this up to point out we're right. 
Yeah, look, look, I don't, I don't want it to sound like we're just dancing on 3D's grave, <laughs> but could you play me a jig? I, for one, am not sad to see it go. No? No. no. What, what has your experience been with 3D TV broadcast? That it exists and I feel no lack for never so having seen it. it personally. Yeah, no. The last 3D TV I, I experienced was the Three Stooges in the 1980s <laughs> on Channel 7. That night. Mm. And, uh, and since then, uh, nothing. But I have seen some 3D movies mm-hmm. since then and thought, 3D doesn't really make much, much of a difference to the storytelling here. There's no reason for, to make me feel ill. Mm. You know, if they're going to give me glasses, they may as well also give me a bucket. Mm-hmm. You've never had sex with a wombat either. And yeah, I don't think there's any real reason you'd need to rush out and do that just to prove it's a bad idea. Told you I'd never had sex with a wombat. <laughs> and that is the Box Cutters News. This is Elmo from Sesame Street, and you're listening to Box Cutters, baby. <laughs> oh, that's cut through with poignancy now, isn't it? Oh, was... <laughs> Remember how innocent it was when we recorded that? <laughs> well, uh, actually, uh, uh, Kevin Clash won three daytime Emmys last week. Did he? For, uh, for his work as Elmo. Wow, that makes it even more awkward, doesn't it? Well, not 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 really. He's like swimming in Emmys now and money. He and money. Ha- he did have a lot of the money. Yeah, yeah. So swimming in Emmys and money. Yeah, that'd be right. Oh no, I have to quit my day job. <laughs> oh, oh, what 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 a shame! Uh, look, I was gonna I, I was gonna make some I, I was gonna make some really rude comment there about well from our most famous guest ever. <laughs> Oh, that, to, and then mean. it's mean, isn't that's it? Really mean. That popped into my head. Yeah. So instead, I'll just say, on Channel Thirty One on Friday nights, there is a show called Live on Bowen. It is hosted by Rob Lloyd, and we're very lucky to have Elmo. No, sorry, Rob Lloyd <laughs> in the uh, in, in the studio with us. Everyone, welcome, Rob Lloyd. Hi, Rob Lloyd. Hi. Hi. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. I'll just pick my ego up off the floor. No, it's, that's a it's live gone. live studio audience applauding for you. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> You do have a live studio audience, though, don't you? We do, we do. We have, yeah. we have, uh, we fill it out every week, which is really cool. People actually want to come on down and see live TV filmed, which is really cool. And it's like live, live, like we go well, live to air. Let's start with this then. Live, I don't get it. <laughs> no, no, in, all, in all honesty, what? live television to me is just. I'm hoping that that. Well, let's say for, for this this purpose, let's say you. I'm hoping you will slip on something and die. That is my only hope with live television. Something horrific is going to happen. That's that's kind of why I like doing live TV. That's what it's about. But because, then when it doesn't, because every every week he disappoints you. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I mean, though. Because yeah, when it doesn't, I get disappointed. I just go, this is just worse than it was pre-recorded and edited. But, but the the great thing is. Is it's filmed at RMI TV, which is all students, and so they're learning. So it's the work experience kids, so literally anything could happen. We nearly had to cancel the show on Friday because there was a fire hazard. I did hear you caught fire. Yeah, well, yeah, close to. A street sweeper outside caught fire. The smoke went into the ventilation system. Ventilation system, sci-fi reference. Went in and, like, just filled the entire RMIT offices and buildings with smoke. And so we turned the fire alarm off because we have a smoke machine at the start of the show. So goes well the fire alarm's not going off so we're fine we could have all died if there was an actual fire it was kind of cool to go this but is actually live but again but, but, you just disappointed me because what I want <laughs> what I want, want is to see the thing in flames and you carrying on like a trooper you but know that, that studio is like a concrete bunker like as, as if the fire's going to get through well, or, or if, it, if it starts in there then nobody's getting out well that, that is true so then you know you could literally see me burning alive yeah so what with the bad puns <laughs> so, so Rob what, what is the motivation to keep uh 
How do you keep people excited? How do you keep people like John excited without just setting fire to yourself? I guess it's what we try and do is uh, bring in uh, you know new guests and because it's a talk show and there's no talk show, no Australian talk shows on uh, TV at the moment really, and so it's great to go back to that traditional way of uh, presenting TV of getting people on to talk about what they do, give young comedians or young music acts a chance to you know show themselves off to to a wider community. It's a it's a it's a, a great sense of community on television, I think, is what I like to use as a term. This really is one of the only places where stand-ups are on TV now. Pretty it? much. Pretty much, yeah. There's no, there's no avenue for, for stand-ups to get up and show themselves off and get their material out there and their name out there, which, is, which, is, which I really like about it because I started out in the, the comedy scene and I've been doing comedy for about 13, 14 years. So I love having that opportunity to you know, give a, three minutes of time on TV to, to 40,000, 50,000 people to, mm-hmm. to watch. But isn't that weird, though? That, like, Live on Bowen is doing – I mean, it's fair to say it's a quite traditional Tonight Show, chat show format. yeah. yeah. And yet that has somehow become weirdly avant-garde. Well, especially in Australia. Australia as well. Um, like in America, you can just count all the talk show hosts, hosts on every single digit and then you have to count somebody else's. There's so many talk shows. Um, spe- same as England as well. But in Australia, it's been a very you know, sparing uh, experience. And especially since, since uh, Rovers left our screens, there's been nothing really. But before then, we had Don Lane. We, you know, Bert Newton used to do a bit of it. Graham Kennedy. But um, over the and last couple you, of years... you also had daytime. You had Mike Walsh followed by Ray Martin. Yeah, 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 with the midday show, mm. yeah. And even Hinch gave it a try for a while and then Carrie Ann took over. And uh, so Daryl Summers had his, own, uh, had his own Tonight Show for a mm-hmm. very short uh, amount it? of time. Yes. Uh, and so you have, this, uh, you have this format that nobody is, is using anymore and instead uh, they have things like uh, Lawrence Mooney with uh, Dirty Laundry, the which is... More, yeah. it's, the, it's the same... Concept just in a different shape, and it's what? mostly doing the 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 game show format in many ways as well. The host and the two teams doing competitions that's kind of taken over with Spicks and Specs and the Good News Week format as well, which they've taken from England as well. That's become more of the acceptable form of getting comedians out there. Why do you think that is though? Like, why is the Tonight Show format fallen out of favour in Australia? I really don't know. I it's a format that. This lends itself to something that can happen every week. I mean, The Tonight Show works in America because they do it every night. They do it five nights a week. And there's so many people they can get on, TV, film, music stars, all like that, whereas in Australia we have such a smaller pool of talent. So I guess it could be that case of the danger of the audiences getting bored or if you can't pull in the big names, like big movie stars who are out promoting their stuff like that, people are going to turn away. People are going to be there going, well, why would I tune in just to watch an interview with someone who's on The Block or someone who's on uh, All Saints whenever that was on? People in Australia possibly have that idea of, you know, if it's not someone big enough, what's the point of watching? Which is a shame because there's so many, like a lot of people ask me, who's the biggest name you've had on the show? And I've gone, well, some of the most interesting interviews are with the people who aren't the biggest names. Mm-hmm. So we've had, we've had uh, you know, Father Bob and we've had Tim Ferguson and we, you know, uh, we just did our interview with David Hasselhoff. But, you know, the, everyone's excited about the Hoff. But some of the more, you know, I- what interviews are about, and I'm learning for the first time because I'm not <laughs> – I have no training in journalism whatsoever. I'm learning how to interview as I go along is finding out – the story behind each person and what they've got to tell in their stories and, and trans, you know, 
passing that on to, to an audience, which is fascinating. So what, what is your background and how did you get the gig? Uh, well, I've, I'm trained as an actor. I did three years uh, acting for stage and screen. Then I did a teaching degree in country New South Wales. Uh, like I'm, all good actors. Like all I was good thinking like, like you had to say those two things as a separate. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's what you do. They should um, make it one course just yeah, at the same yeah. time. It's, seriously, just yeah, get your acting degree and then the dip ed and then, you know, yeah. you know, and you'll be fine. Okay. Don't, don't worry about waitering or, or bar staff work or anything like that. Just go to teaching. Okay. And every parent will run the acting degrees just going, just do it as backup. Okay. But it's your real, it's your main focus. It's your main focus. Uh, I was in a musical comedy trio called uh, The Dodge and we moved to Melbourne and we did that for a couple of years. And then I moved into improvisational comedy running my own group called uh, The Crew. I ran them for about six years. And then I worked for The Hounds, The Hounds with Adam McKenzie and Tegan Higginbotham. We, mm-hmm. were, uh, we were together for about five years. And then I wanted to do solo work. I'd been working for about 10 years in the comedy scene, but working in groups and sketch comedy groups and improv groups. And I wanted to see if I could do stuff alone. And around about this time, there was a show on TV called Theatre Games Live, which was uh, run by some uh, two young Deacon uh, people who wanted to get into producing. And so they did it. It's imp- improvisation and theatre sports in the style of American Idol. It was it was as awkward as it sounds, right. uh, and so uh, I did that. And uh, uh, the fabulous Ben McKenzie was involved as well. He did incredibly well with it as well. And from that, um, the producers wanted to create another show, which was called The Mutant Way, and uh, that was like like Spicks and Specs, like Dirty Laundry, and all that stuff as a host and two teams battling it out. Um, and the producers of that show then moved on to take over the last season of uh, Studio A. Studio A, they took over that, and then Studio A's contract ended, and those two producers wanted to carry on and do another talk show, and they brought me in to host it. And so uh, we've we've done a season so far. We're two episodes into season two, and we've got hopefully season three later on in the year. So we're going to film about close to 24 episodes this year which is going to be pretty exciting. You could have cut through that by just saying lots and lots of hard work. <laughs> but this is also all Channel 31, isn't it? We're talking... And for, for listeners outside of... of don't of don't say it like one. it doesn't matter. No, no, no. Don't, I, don't I, say I, it I, like, oh, I just Channel 31. No, no, but I'm saying oh, we should explain what I it is. I hate Channel 31 so much, says John. Because Sophie in Canada may not know. So Sophie in Canada... <laughs> oh, this is definitely for you, Sophie. Yeah, Listen up. so like Channel 31, it's, a, it's, it's the equivalent of Triple R. It's a community broadcaster. It's Everyone works for free. Yeah. Pretty much. It's um and it's sort of driven by the passion and power and talent of all these young people, kind of mostly young people. And you, Rob, obviously. <laughs> um, kind of yeah, coming coming through. Uh it's interesting that I always wonder with Channel Thirty One because I, I did a lot of stuff with them as well. What's your reason for working with Channel Thirty One? Why are you Um I I like working with Channel Thirty One because they actually want to work with me, which is good. And I get to um do the type of stuff that I want to do. I mean, getting onto network television is very hard, especially in the comedy scene. It is very hard unless you have representation or stuff like that. And for someone who's been in the industry for so long and hasn't been able to find representation with the most powerful management groups in Australia, uh, Channel 31 is a great avenue for for those people who work hard, who are dedicated to what they do, but also uh, would like to, you know, actually get opportunities to get on screen and you know work on um improving yourself i mean everything i do i want to challenge myself take a risk doing live on bone was my chance of doing something i'd never done before i'd never hosted a a tonight show before i'd never interviewed celebrities before so that was a way for me to to learn new skills and do something 
you know, outside of my comfort zone. So given the opportunity on Channel 31 to do that, I, I would have nowhere else to do it. Is, is hosting what you want to do, or would you rather get back to, to acting? I mean, there's very little call for improvised television. <laughs> yes, and like the last biggest success of improvised television was the first scripted improvisation show, which was uh, Thank God You're Here, yes. which is amazing. Which sold so well overseas. It, yes, those... Episodes of America were fantastic. I did see those, thanks right, to Ben right. McKenzie. Um, uh, Brian Cranston did very well. If you ever see one of the episodes, the Brian Cranston one is fantastic. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm just busy. That <laughs> that <laughs> Whatever that may be. Uh, so, yeah, I never saw myself in doing hosting. You know, I want, when I was you know, a kid in country New South Wales and when I was doing my acting degree, I wanted to be a classically trained actor. You know, my favorite actor was John Hurt, and I wanted to be like John Hurt. And then I realized I didn't have his gravity or his, you know, grandiose ability to actually, you know, convey passion as well as he did. So I moved into comedy, and comedy and uh, improvisation and also hosting sort of like go hand in hand. So I've had to learn those skills as I went along to survive. You've got to be able to adapt. So I never saw myself being, a t- you know, hosting any type of show, whether it be a Channel 31 community show or anything like that. But I'm, I've realized there are skills that I can learn from it and, and there are ways that I can use my training to improve myself as a, as a host. So everything's a challenge. And I like you know learning something new every time I do the show. There's been quite a few people go from Channel 31 now. Rove McManus being the most obvious one. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Hamish and Andy as well. I didn't know that. Hamish yeah. and Andy were... Yeah, they, they're on Channel 31 as well. Um, uh, there was a Bazira project. Uh, there's been uh, 20-something. Uh, J- J- Josie Pirelli. Um, I'm just naming people who were on Channel 31. Josh Canal. <laughs> uh, Vasily <laughs> from Vasily's Garden went to SBS oh. and then apparently voluntarily went oh, back. Oh, went back? Yeah. Really? Because he actually said he could make more money off... This I believe. I'm, I could be making this up. I believe that he said that he could actually make more money out of doing 31. Yes. Where there was kind of less restriction on what he could and couldn't do. And, and could basically, you know, There's that create as well, yeah. and be produced and all that sort of stuff. But, um, I mean, has anyone come knocking at the door? Do people still, are people looking at 31, do you think, in, in the industry? I'm not, sure. I'm not really sure. I'm not, I mean, people are aware of it. I'm not sure if they're aware of it in any sort of way of looking for talent. And that, that's the, the go-to when, that people go to. They say when I say I'm on Channel 31, they go, oh, Rover's on Channel 31. Oh, that means, you know, you're going to be spotted any time. There's no guarantees. I've been doing it's this It's not long. a feeder school. <laughs> yes. If, if it was a feeder school, I've been in the womb for quite some time. <laughs> um, you know, when you've been in this industry as long as I have, you know that there's no guarantees of anything. I treat every episode of Live on Bowen as if it's my last. And so I don't. I'm. I'm never. That's he not. Open. <laughs> he's open. The fires will come, <laughs> and the first call in will be from John. You did it for you me. You finally did it, Rob. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Rob. You'll be remembered forever. <laughs> I'm taping this. Oh no, I'm not. No, but I'm sure someone else. Is. It'll be online. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll go viral. I'll torrent you. I don't get it. I only have Foxtel. <laughs> exactly. If you if you want to see Rob Lloyd host his next last live on board. <laughs> You can Friday, 8.30pm on Channel 31, or if they want uh, to come into the studio audience, yeah, uh, just how, go, how, how do they do that, Rob? Just go to the uh, Live on Bowen website, liveonbowen.com, and you can uh, sign up to be an audience member, come in, and you can also see old episodes. Uh, this season, we're actually putting up the whole episodes of Live on Bowen Season 2 up online. That's on our YouTube channel as well. Last year, we just did little bits here and there, but now you can see the full episode so that people not only in Melbourne, but all over Australia and Sophie in Canada can tune in to see the whole show. Cool. 
we'll put those links up on the Box Cutters site. Thanks so much for coming in, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for bringing me on. Mr. Marlowe twice, severing jugulars and carotids with near-surgical precision. He will die watching me take what is his away from him. This is my design. I shoot Mrs. Marlowe expertly through the neck. This is not a fatal wound. The bullet misses every artery she's paralyzed before it leaves her body. Which doesn't mean she can't feel pain. do anything about it. This is my design. That's the sound of violence and precision, which I, I think really sums up the, uh, the the new TV series Hannibal, which stars uh, Hugh Dancy, uh, British actor Hugh Dancy, as Will Graham, who is a criminal profiler uh, who uh, is working with, uh, I believe, look, let's call them the FBI. Uh, it's, I, I can't remember. It is, some, it, it is some government agency. It's sort of meant to be a new agency with a crazy name, which he even points out to Lawrence Fishburne going, this is a terrible name. Uh, it's called the, the Mad People's Unit or something. But MPU. MPU. He, he, does, he does teach the FBI, though. There's definitely FBI students there being taught. Wow, we're, we've already gone... We've we've already we're we're already confused yeah. about the show. Anyway, the show is called Hannibal. It's based on Hannibal Lecter. Uh, I give it three stars. Is, is yeah. that it? Is that well, no no? There's there's so much there's so much more to it. This is a show of uh, of contradictions, but but it is uh, not just contradictions in the show itself, but contradictions in the way the show is is produced and presented. But in a nutshell, there's a profiler who's brought into an organisation to help profile. Uh, these strange serial killers, killings that are happening, and then he sort of stays on after the pilot because that tends to happen in these shows. Yep. And uh, and one of the people who's brought in to kind of help him is a psychiatrist called Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Yes, a psychiatrist and uh, like noted noted psychiatrist and academic, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, uh, who uh, is expert in in this kind of field, but is also helping Will through some turmoil that he's experienced by uh, shooting a suspect. Well, also because Will has a condition, and I've got to be, I actually found this quite fascinating. I presume uh, there, there is no background to this in real world at all. I don't know. If only we had a fact checker who might you know, correct me on this but like, at the end. E- extreme empathy. Extreme empathy. So it basically says, like, are you basically Asperger's? Are you autistic? To Will, and Will goes, well, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm sort of with them. But in fact, we find out he has extreme empathy, which means he can sort of put himself into anyone's shoes, understand exactly what they're doing, which gives him sort of quasi-magical powers to be able to work out what these serial killers are doing just by thinking in the mind of the serial killer and working his way back in, in some very stylish sequences where they rewind time so he can then take their place to work out how they kill people. And it's a, it's a fascinating condition, and it makes him a really interesting character, even though if I, I, I kind of find myself thinking it's probably bullshit. Probably, but in in the in the way that all of these all of these procedurals, and this is a procedural. It's weirdly a procedural, isn't it? It's a procedural that doesn't want to be a procedural. Right, it's another one of the contradictions. It, it is. It's a procedural without acting like a, a procedural, and it still has killer of the week. It still has uh, there is there is a mystery to be to be solved, but there is a very deep running. Uh, 
long story here, and that is the story of the relationship between Will and Hannibal Lecter, and uh, and how they come to work together to solve these crimes. Because I only I only had time to see two episodes, unfortunately. But it was interesting that the first episode there was a there was a murderer, it got resolved, and then the second episode started with that murderer again. And that surprised me a bit because it actually makes sense that clearly the events of the first episode are going to have long-term effects for Will. And so they... they and then, But then also introduced a second murderer. But even the show didn't seem interested in the second murderer. He's just there to make some really grotesque stuff happen. But it's sort of dealt with very offhand. So, so there is a murderer of the week, but whether or not the show even cares about the murderer of the week is... Yeah, I don't know. I was... And, well, so the show's called Hannibal. So, so Will isn't the central character. He's not the titular character. But, 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 and, and so we're actually all about the psychiatrist rather than the, oh, no, the but, crime But Will is the central em- character, empathic. though. Will's- well, yes, he is. But, and and this, this series is really interesting because I think it breaks the, the three episodes rule. Yet again. By actually work. requiring more than three episodes before we actually see Hannibal seated in the center of, of what's going on. Um, and it's not until episode four or five so that, that that it's actually more about him than it's about Will. But that worries me and, slightly. And solving uh, the crimes. And I mean, they only have watched the two of them. One of the things I don't like in this show is Hannibal Lecter. I, I, I don't like Mads Mikkelsen as an actor. I don't oh, find really? him remotely interesting. And, and every time he came on, on screen, I felt that kind of like, oh, go get through this bit. And it was because I, I found I enjoyed a lot of this. I didn't enjoy fair degree I guess of this I was confused by what it was but the Hannibal stuff really bored me mm-hmm. and and I and, and yet I was really interested in Will I was interested in that part of the story and I kind of felt like and I, I like a lot this idea that we the audience are meant to know a lot more about Hannibal Lecter which is kind of interesting that it's based on us having seen Silence of the Lambs or, or at least knowing at least knowing. or at least knowing what it is but the show assumes the audience knows Silence of the Lambs which is really weird because clearly no one in the show knows Silence of the Lambs because this is Hannibal Lecter before those events you know this is the, it's, the novels it's before, that it sets. before Red Dragon yeah. and before it's it's actually a very short period of time in which uh, in which Harris has not written a story for Hannibal Lecter so yes, it's referred to in one of in Red Dragon isn't it yes. it's referred to that he did this in the past and this is the past we're looking at or it's set in the current day. But yeah, but Mads Mikkelsen, as like, I'm not interested in him. I'm not, I mean, and it's interesting because it plays those games with us. Like, Lecter keeps bringing people food. And clearly you, the audience, are meant to be being slightly freaked out that maybe he's feeding people people. But Is it that? Or I, I just, for me, it was just way too much food porn. And just, well, no, but food's a huge theme really in this. Even, even the episode titles, um, at least certainly the first episode. No, they, they, all, they are all, the, the entire first se- season. Is are they all, all French as well? They're all French I think they're all French. Yeah, based, they're but, all French food. Terms. But they're, yeah, they're all f- t- food terms. So uh, first one is aperitif, and then mm. there's entree. There's uh, uh, yeah, there's a mousse bouche. I'm sure. In this yes, way. but it's if. but it's just that really weird thing of there are so many games going on in this show, sort of intellectual ones that I'm really enjoying, even if I don't fully understand what they are. There's also a lot of grotesque stuff. The second episode does involve, I think, the most horrible murder I have ever seen in a show. Series of murders. Is that the angels one, uh, the the mushroom growing one. Oh yeah, that that is mm. that is that is horrific. That is really disturbing, and and the fact that the show actually has little captions coming up saying you know viewer discretion advised, and this is on NBC, mm-hmm. which and also feels weird. And it's got a fourteen, it's got a fourteen rating, which the equivalent here would be like a PG rating, and 
And that that seems really odd to me because yes. it is a very violent show. This is the show that uh, uh, they pulled an episode uh, because there was a, a massacre in the US and uh, and and Brian Fuller decided to to pull the episode off off air. Now Brian Fuller, who uh, who developed this for TV, uh, did the excellent Pushing Daisies, uh, did Wonderfalls, I has love done Wonderfalls. some has done some great shows that have not lasted more than two seasons, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and is now doing this, which is quite a departure, but it clearly has his touch. It has that very smart uh, sense of self. It knows what it is, and it knows what it's doing. Unfortunately, I think that uh, some of the acting let, lets it down, and and I think also there seems to be a lot of filler. There's all that all that unnecessary procedural. F- so that's the weird thing. It actually feels like, like, yeah, the show has that in there probably because it has to for NBC, I, I suspect, but doesn't really want to. It feels like it wants to be an HBO series just looking at these people that kind of has to keep putting murders in there to keep it going. I don't know. It's also that weird thing that it's got a very geeky, almost Chuck-like casting to it that it's, it's got, and I've forgotten her name, unfortunately, but the lead from Wonderfalls, who's awesome, and, and she's in there, she's lovely. It's Lawrence Fishburne. You've got Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, the, the sort of coming up in the season trailer that was on the end of the first episode had both Eddie Izzard and Gillian Anderson. Like, it was just this, mm. oh, Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like, it's just, it's this, it's almost like they oh. spun a wheel. And just but he, he plays, Scott Thompson plays a very straight... And quite small uh, role, very too. straight and, and and small role where all he's doing is assisting an investigation. I just want to say the visuals too. It's quite beautifully so shot, beautiful, and, uh, and that was a relief because I thought it was going to be yet another kind of desaturated, gritty, you know, handheld nonsense, which I'm just completely over. And it was nice that this has been approached with a real sense of style. But Dire- again, directed by the same person who directed the well, the first episode was di- uh, the the pilot was directed by the same person who directed the uh, pilot for Awake. Oh, and it yes. has it has that same sense uh, as well of different lenses that you don't usually get on. Yeah, on Michael Reimer's in there as well doing some episodes. Who uh, Australian made Angel Baby, but then more famously did Battlestar Galactica reinvention. But um, there's a shot in the second episode which is just of milk pouring into a cup of coffee, an extreme close up, mm. and it pulls out. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on television. Very disturbing because the show it's in, you, you don't know. Like you're saying, there's a lot of food. There's a lot of a lot of sort of viscera like it's mm-hmm. it's a it's all about fluids and bodies and organic materials but yeah i just found myself i don't even know if i like this i i can't even decide yes yes that's exactly where 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 i sit i i i really enjoy some bits but i would i would love if this was just like talking if this was in treatment but with hannibal lecter i think i would i would enjoy it because i really like I like the character of Hannibal Lecter in in this. I mean, sure, he's a he's a, a, a serial killer and a, a terrible, terrible human. But uh, I think we had become so cartoonish with Hannibal Lecter in the in the films, and this brings him back to an intellectual psychopath. He's he's very very intelligent, and he is a psychopath, 
and that very odd mixture of being able to exist in society while also not not caring and you have this uh, th- this duality of a, a character who has extreme empathy and a character who has absolutely no empathy whatsoever and they they come together and they they are oil and water. Every scene you see them in, both are uncomfortable being there. Neither one wants to be in that situation. I think this is acted really well. I think it's directed really well. I think that I'm not sure I about think that Lawrence Fishburne's acting. That's I'm really. not even. That's not even part of the show, as far as I'm to concerned. To be passionate, he just screams at people. La- Lawrence Fishburne. I don't even think he's in this show. Yeah. And, what, and what's he doing there? Oh, some exposition. And he is there purely. He is pre- pretty much Captain Exposition. Mm. Uh, but in my version of, of this show, Lawrence Fishburne isn't in there. They don't have to solve a murder every week. It is just two people being e- extremely but uncomfortable Because in my version, Matt Mickelson isn't there and, Le- and Hannah Lecter isn't there. I'm not interested in him. And so that's the weird thing. I get the feeling like there's, there's, there's kind of something for everyone but not an entirety for anyone well, I think in it, this I, show. I think it changes after the point that you watched up to, John. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're mad for this, Brett, right? You, you absolutely love I'm it. actually not. I, I think there's way too much intellectual masturbation, mutual masturbation with fucking psychi- psychiatrists having sessions with psychiatrists. So that's the stuff that we like session it. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I, I find that tedious. I find the food porn just has too much screen time. Um, I, I think that I think that the procedural part of the cases, the, the cases that he has to walk through and, and you know, he, he can empathise and so knows the, the motivations of the killers is there because they're not actually giving any of any of that gory stuff that Hannibal's doing himself. So so we don't see any of that stuff. Well, that's part of the tension though, isn't it? That's what I was saying before about we're meant to assume that Hannibal is killing and eating people even though at least at least at the point I've read up to there's, there's no real reason to even think that might be happening except that we think it might be happening. But So that's why when there's a lot of close-ups of him putting a bit of meat into his mouth. It's there to make us uneasy. even if preparing n- the food. Yes, even if nothing within the show is necessarily saying that's what he's doing. Mm. Which is, again, a clever, it's a clever idea. Is it well, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I mean. This show just makes me confused. I found it really tedious. Um, having said that, I, I think I want to get through to the end to see if it gets any better. I, I, I was going to ask because you know, you've, 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 got a, you've, you've got a lady friend, you've got a job, you have things to do with your mm. life, Brett. Why are you sitting there watching this show that you're not enjoying? Because people, there's a buzz about it and, and I want to see for myself how it goes and and it wasn't until just uh this afternoon that i got to Gillian anderson in there as as another masturbating psychiatrist as it happens but i would watch that film <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was, her, that was her english series the masturbating psychiatrist but th- this is but this is what i mean though i i found that thing where i probably would watch more i only had the time to do this last night and i was planning to watch three episodes and it was actually i got to the end of two and went, i don't want to watch any more of this like i actually you know, weird enough it's a show that does need to be spaced out i don't think you should be watching a whole bunch of it i'm not probably not watch it on a dvd box set in one go because it it was disturbing in a way that i'm not even quite sure how it was disturbing that's what i mean i'm just i'm confused by this show and my reaction to it well we had we had at least three listeners write to us and ask us to review it and i want to know if they wanted us to review it because we don't we don't usually get that we don't usually get people saying i really love this show review it and we don't get people saying, I hated this show, review it. I wonder if they asked us to review it because they are also confused <laughs> by it. 
Is is anyone really enjoying this show or are they just finding bits of it to enjoy? In the same way that I used to watch Blossom because the grandfather had one killer line every single episode and that would make it worth sitting through 23 minutes of, uh, of Maya and Bialik being, you know, cute until she was no longer. And, uh, and the... the the same thing happens with me and and Hannibal. I watch it, and when the Lawrence Fishburne bits are on, I know that I can read my feeds. But when uh, when the Will Graham uh, role is is on, I have to watch the screen. So, I have to see mm-hmm. what he's doing. I had a slight opposite thing happen that I did stop paying attention during one bit of Lawrence Fishburne and then I had to rewind because mm-hmm. I realised I didn't know what was going on. Oh, because he's because got he's all the exposition. exposition. So he's actually, quite, it's, he's actually quite important to listen to what Lawrence has to tell you. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's such an odd show. Not a bad show. Definitely not a bad show, but I just don't know. And it's, it's on locally as well, but I, f- I forgot to look up where and when. Now, I think it must be uh, writing off the charts here in Melbourne. Uh, it's on Channel 7 on Wednesday nights at 10.45pm. Great. Well, you can, uh, look, wait up. W- wait up for Hannibal and be confused yourself. You got your postman. I have a letter. Did you read it? You're a godsend. Saviour. No, I'm, I'm just the postman. The postman. The postman. The postman. Postman. <laughs> so everyone else at home was singing along as well. I don't think it was just me. I never even realised that that song had. Uh, you know, I wrote it. I didn't realise yeah, yeah. it had lyrics. It's also like tequila version. Postman. I didn't write that. I'd be a lot richer if I did. A lot richer. Shane Boxcutter writes. Hi. An interesting take on the best TV shows ever debate. Here is one person's view of best written shows ever. Regards, Shane. HTTP colons forward slash forward slash You don't have to read. You don't have to read the whole link. You don't, you don't have to read the whole link. The link, however, uh, which starts the way Brett said and then continues on, you will find it on the box cutter's site. Uh, takes you to Michael Idato's uh, greatest. TV written shows or greatest shows, the the best written TV shows. I think is what he's uh, what, what what he's talking about here. What are the best written TV shows? And then he has a list of twenty of them, uh, which he calls Michael Idato's twenty best written TV shows, aka what no Seinfeld. So he's clearly aware, A, firstly, he says uh, there's, there's an asterisk after Michael Idato's, uh, and there's an asterisk saying, which may be vastly different to yours. So he's preempting the backlash mm-hmm. straight away. And then he talks about uh, a whole bunch of shows, but doesn't really talk about why he thinks they are so well written. Yeah. He just kind of lists them, and then there is, uh, th- there is a, a single line that more examines or talks about what the sh- what the show is rather than why it's why he considers but it is, one of the best written. Isn't the really important bit there the fact that he's saying this is his personal opinion? Because yeah, yeah, last episode when you were doing the Josh reads out a book that tells Josh he's right about stuff, so therefore he likes it. Review such a great book. Which yeah, and this, and this is my thing because I, I I listen to that going. I disagree. I mean, I disagree. Not that those those shows are all great. I think that that Alan Sepinwall has in that book. But I still disagree that this golden age is over because to me, I keep seeing other great shows are happening. And name one. 
and uh, well, Mad Men he's got in there, which I, I, you know, would continue saying is a very good show. Uh, Community is after you know, that that list you know, of seven walls. I said one, <laughs> <laughs> and but this thing too. And then when Ben read out the list of of what box colors had declared Golden Age Television, and some of them actually seems like embarrassing choices now because it is about personal taste. Even even then at the time, and some of them which which probably seemed very important at the time, but now with a little bit, even with a couple of years of of hindsight, probably, like weeds particularly. Well, weeds. Um, there was uh, entourage. Entourage. There was the the Nathan Barley. I, I don't oh, think Nathan Barley absolutely. Important. Oh, oh, Nathan um, Barley stands up. I think. But no, I mean, it may stand up. But things. There are lots of other shows that were either more important or or did the same thing. You know, I, I think Nathan Barley. It comes across as a slightly random choice now, rather than. At the time, it probably seemed much more yeah, significant. Yeah, it, it was very, very important. Yeah. And and remains so. <laughs> so I just think that's kind of thing. This list is always going to be a very, yeah, personal list. Because also a lot of it's just how it affected you rather than... I mean, any, any attempt to make a kind of quantifiable list of best. Because what Which, I would really like a list like that, if he said these are the best written shows and there were shows that included things that were clearly well written but terribly made... You know, yep. if you went like, oh, Neverwhere from 1992, BBC, it looks like shit. Yeah, um, that would kind of be interesting <laughs> to take you know, the things that, that, that had good aspects, but the shows themselves didn't work. And these things are always going to be about uh, arbitrary criteria. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I suppose the point is that not everybody uh, agrees, unless you do, like we did, a, a poll of the best TV characters of of all time mm-hmm. and even then it is the best tv characters of all time as chosen by box cutters listeners who happen to be listening at the time and could be bothered writing in yes and and box cutters audiences probably do have certain biases in them anyway because yeah, they're podcast s- listeners they're going to be tech they're literate. always going to skew to veronica mars <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so there is going to be yeah all these things are i'm saying it's all it's all just candles in the wind <laughs> So we'll we'll put a link to uh, we'll, we'll put a link to Michael Adato's list on uh, on the Box Cutters blog. You can have a look and agree, disagree, or just look at it with your curious puppy face. Brett Brett Cropley, if you're going to watch one thing this week that was not more Hannibal. What would it be? I'm going to check out The Observer Effect on Sunday on SBS One at 8.30pm, which is a show uh, hosted by Alan Fanning, uh, looking at the news events of the week. Ellen, Ellen Fanning? Yeah. Okay. Ellen. I thought you said Alan. That's her brother. Right. Are they homonyms? <laughs> Hey, 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 what they do behind closed doors is their own business. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of no, which, the other one. my one thing uh, will involve either time travel or, if I want to do it not in television, uh, a plane ticket. But I am going to be watching the HBO series, well, telly movie, uh, Behind the Candelabra by Steven Soderbergh. <gasps> Stars Michael Douglas as Liberace, uh, Matt Damon as his boyfriend Steve. Steve the chauffeur, and is I, his brother George in it? I, 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 he gets referenced. I may have watched half an hour of it already, uh, and I've got to say it's very, very good. Which everyone is saying. That's what I hear. It, it's, it's been on HBO. It's playing, I think, believe at the Sydney Film Festival. It's being released as a fe- feature film outside of America because in America, no one wanted to put a film out with Matt Damon and Michael Douglas by Steven Soderbergh about Liberace. Yeah, that 
Well, that's no wonder Soderbergh's retired. Isn't it? I mean, that's insane. But it, and, and I want to mention, that from the bit I've seen, every time I do these talks about screenwriting, I always mention this thing that, that I always claim that, that was said by Hitchcock, and maybe I've just made it up, that if you want to make a character likable to the audience, you show them being good at their job. Mm. And the half hour I've watched so far of Behind the Candelabra is like just, it's so well written. It's, it's so beautifully made. It's like precision filmmaking. And both the Matt Damon character and the Liberace character are introduced with scenes that show them being good at their job. And it was just, especially with the Liberace character, it was fascinating how well that worked, that Matt Damon goes to see him perform. And Michael Douglas does a, a brilliant Liberace I don't want to say impersonation, but performance. Mm. And it's all the kind of the horrible jokes and the strange voice and all the water. But while he's doing this, he's playing this like boogie woogie piano stuff. And the camera just keeps focusing, shows you his fingers. And you realize he's a bloody good pianist. And he's such a good pianist. And he's such a good showman that it really does win you over to him in a way that I think it wouldn't if you just went, here's this crazy, crazy camp man. I I think it was Hitchcock because uh, if you look back, uh, Norman Bates was a very attentive motel. He ran a a good motel? Yeah. People, people I think, often... They overlook that, you know, when they focus on the whole killing people. And he he overlooked nothing. He did. Through through tiny holes and... I would be watching, because I've just discovered that it is on Australian television. I had no idea. Thanks for keeping this a secret showcase. Oh, yeah. That's a channel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the that's their whole slogan. Showcase. That's, that's a, a channel. channel. <laughs> Veep is uh, is airing. Is it? It's is airing it? on Showcase like minutes after it airs in the US. Who would have known? I know. So I'm going to be watching that next Monday at 4:40 in the afternoon. I still haven't seen Veep. I hear it's good. It's really good. Also, I'm very pleased that even though the hat that I'm wearing tonight is technically not a hat, it's a visor, and it's, it's translucent, as they always are, translucent green. I can, um, see, I can see the top of your head, I can see your forehead, I can see everything. And yet, as I take it off, Josh, look. Facts. Oh, my God! <laughs> Didn't expect that, did you? No, but they are there. They are there. And Call the so night many, nurse. There's so many facts. Where can we begin? Where can we begin? We, um, we did throw a lot of facting at you. There's a lot tonight. of stuff going on. Um, let's start with the news. That seems like a reasonable place to start. We're talking about the Greek national broadcaster, which I don't know if you ever gave it to T- full name. Turns out, turns out Greece... Not a country. <laughs> yeah, um, I checked. Technically, and, uh, it's a fruit. Uh, no, it is a country. It's of an course it is. Uh, no, the, the Greek national broadcaster, which is of course the abbreviation is ERT. I don't know. If we ever used its proper name, no. which in English is the Hellenic Broadcasting Corporation, which until fairly recently received eighty-eight percent of its funding from those license fees that you uh, listed. So it, so it seems, at least in terms of financial structure, it's a bit more like the BBC than like something like PBS. Um, and they have already announced, uh, as I think you did say, that they will be replaced. The thing it's going to be replaced by is called NERIT, which stands for the New Hellenic Radio, Internet and Television, which will launch on the 29th of August. Well, so they say. Mm. We'll find out, won't we? So yeah, remember how Community was late? I think there's going to be a lot more to this story. This is going to be an ongoing... I think this is going to be yeah. quite fascinating. But I also found out when they cancelled it, when they turned it off, they didn't just turn off the TV. They cancelled the, the registration of the domain names used by <gasps> ERT so that you couldn't stream stuff on the internet because they had streaming television services. Um, I haven't been able to confirm that that's true, but it, that's, that's been reported in a few places. So, yeah, it, they really went to town when they did it. Um, 
I don't know why you would do that. That seems a really weird way to do it. Anyway, so that, that's uh, the Greek thing. I think is going to that's going to keep going. We'll find out more about ERT and and Nerit and whatever is going to happen. Now we also talked about the fact that Amazon has done a deal with Viacom. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big parts of this was that Netflix used to have most of those shows on Netflix, but oh. that they let it go. And a big component of it is uh, children's TV shows like Dora the Explorer and a lot of the popular children's TV shows are on uh, that Viacom list of programs. And Netflix has let it go. They've picked up a deal with Disney, so they're not worried about their children's audiences. Uh, But one of the things that's interesting about it is that the Amazon service uh, is via Amazon Prime, which is not... It's not just a streaming TV service. It's like, a, here's some extra value for our serious customers. It's very cheap. It only costs about $80 a year, and you get a bunch of stuff. You don't just get video subscriptions, so you get um, cheaper shipping on all your orders from Amazon. And you get faster, faster shipping Faster well. shipping, that's right. So you, as, a, as a base, you get two-day shipping instead of having to pay extra for that. Um, if you pay more, you get other stuff. Uh, you also get no minimum on your orders, so you can order as little as you want, and they'll still send it to you. Um, you get the free streaming of videos, and that's unlimited. And also you get uh, free books that you can borrow through the Kindle Owners Lending Library. This is all very clever. Like, just from a business point of view, this seems very clever to go, yeah. hey, if you get the TV thing, you get all this stuff. But if you want this sort of stuff, you get a TV thing. Like, I, like it and works I think both ways. Well, it seems to mostly be working the other way around because the customers who are buying the uh, Amazon Prime memberships are the people who spend the most money on Amazon because then they're saving money. So they're already good Amazon customers, and they're spending that extra $80 a year to save themselves in postage and to get those extra benefits. And there was an estimate, they won't release numbers on how many Prime customers they have, Amazon are notoriously cagey with a lot of their customer numbers, um, almost as much as, as Google and a few of the other places. But supposedly there are around 10 million Amazon Prime subscribers or customers, which is more than Hulu Plus, which only has about 4 million but less than Netflix, which is way out in front with 36 million. And it's not clear how many of those Amazon Prime subscribers or members are actually using the streaming TV service. Mm. So it's an interesting market there, which we're not sure what they're going to do, if they'll disrupt it or not. We also talked about the fact that 3D television is probably on the way out because ESPN is cancelling their sports channel in 3D. No, probably is. They is. are. They are cancelling it. Uh, so, well, we, yes. Uh, but I found out that in America, when you write 3D television, you put a hyphen between the 3 and the D, oh. which I think is ridiculous. But kind of makes sense in a way because if you write three-dimensional as words you would hyphenate it so i guess that makes sense uh but there's also a rumor that the next thing they're going to use to try and sell tvs oh no don't is ultra hd or 4k which has four times the resolution of current high definition televisions and who who are they going to send that signal through i have no idea but i do know that it will allow you to experience the soap opera effect on programs made after 2006 which at the moment you cannot. So that's a benefit, right? Eventually actors will just come to your house. Yeah. They'll knock on the door. What is the soap opera effect? When you watch uh, programs that were not made in high definition that have been upscaled to high definition. And they look terrible. They look a little bit too real and weird. Uh, It's particularly bad on daytime soaps which are now made in HD, but because of the way they're shot, it looks a bit like you've got a window into somebody else's bizarre (laughs) life. (laughs) We'll move on to uh, Rob Lloyd's interview, which was great. Uh, They're... There are a few facts I would like to pick up on that. He said oh, there are Elmo's no... Elmo's not the most famous person we've interviewed. No, he Elmo is the most okay, famous okay. person we've interviewed. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Uh, but uh, oh, speaking of Elmo, actually, that, that came up, um, Kevin Clash won three Daytime Emmy Awards for his work as Elmo on Sesame Street uh, just in this last week. He won Outstanding Performer in a Children's Series, 
Outstanding Preschool Children's Series, for which he won that as a group, and Directing in a Children's Series, because he's directed some of Sesame Street. He won all three of those awards, um, which brings his total number of daytime movies he's won for Sesame Street to 26. Wow. I did say he was swimming in them. You did. He is swimming in them, so well done. Uh, Rob Lloyd did make the uh, outlandish claim that there are no Australian talk shows, conveniently forgetting that the third season of Adam Hill's Live is currently sharing, airing on the ABC. Um, no, that's the first season of, of Adam Hill's oh, the first season of Adam Hill's Live, the third season. Gordon Street tonight. Yes. Okay. Well, if you're going to be like that, <laughs> we'll get that fact right. If he's well, going to change the name of his show. He has to go back to one. He's one. Go back to one. Rob mentioned Thank God You're Here uh, and it being successful. It is fabulously successful in the sense that it has been made in 18 different countries all around the world. And aside from being in Australia and America, there's been versions in China, the Czech Republic, Lithuania, the Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, Belgium. There's even, and this is my favourite one, a Quebec-y version, which seems to be the most successful one I could find. It's only in French. You can only watch it in French Canada. Uh, it's called Dieu Merci, or uh, Thank uh, God. You've seceded. And uh, <laughs> I have. And... Uh, and it's, it ran at least from 2007 until 2012 and might be back. It's still popular. Oh. It was drawing one million viewers an episode, which just in Quebec is quite a lot. That's huge. From That's what it. I can yeah. uh, gather. So it was doing really well. So uh, it's a good show in uh, other countries. I'm not sure so. it was unpopular here, was it? it, it was, no, it was popular it was here. Po- it was popular here. but it's, Why did it stop? It's just, it's just like the Québécois to, to be contrary to, to the rest of the world. Why did it stop? Do we know? Uh, Working Dog got sick of it. They couldn't make anything more funny out of it. Uh, okay. They'd kind of made enough money by selling it to other countries. Uh, Hannibal, um, now we talked about where, who do they work for. They do work for the FBI. They are in the Behavioural Sciences Unit, I believe it's mm-hmm. referred to on the show, yeah. which is an analogy or analogous to the Behavioural Analysis Unit, which is a real part of the NCAVC, the National Centre for the Analysis of Violent Crime, which is a real part of the FBI. FBI. So they could be real. Will Graham character appears only in the first of the Hannibal books in um, Red Dragon, um, which and he was previously portrayed in the films Manhunter by William Peterson of CSI fame, mm-hmm. and in Red Dragon by Edward Norton. Any more facts? Any, anything else just falling falling out of your curly hair? No, that's it. I can't even say the ones that I've got tonight. So let's um, <laughs> let's leave it at that. I've got a fact. I've got a fact that we did not mention. Yes. If you want to send a letter to Boxcutters, you can. Hooray at boxcutters.net. That's an email address. You put that into your computer and a message will come to us. Wow. Boxcutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. Brett, you're about to say, oh. Because that's all we've got time for this week on Buckscutters. Episode 344. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I want to say thanks very much to Rob Lloyd for oh. coming all the way from Bowen Street in Melbourne, 3004. You can uh, find him on the television, Bowen Street, uh, live on Bowen, Channel 31, Friday evenings at 8.30pm, or on the web if you're not particularly in Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> just not particularly... Uh, I want to say hi to everyone in, uh, in in Tasmania, where I am right now, if you're listening to this when it's released. Hello there. Uh, and uh, and uh, also, uh, if you are interested in the world of design, you can hear me talk to other people. This week, it is a, a developer, a web developer, live, uh, recorded live at Loop Bar in Melbourne at thenudge.com.au. 
If I wanted to hear people talk about Doctor Who, though... Splendidchaps.com. Go to our website, you'll find all our episodes. We've just recorded one... I can't what date this comes out. Look, there's always one. Basically, you're never that far away from an episode of Splendid Chaps. That's what I'm going to say. And, yeah, go to our website, splendidchaps.com. So who does that job? Uh, That would be me and Ben. Oh, the the two of you. And Petra Elliot. She's very good. She's wonderful. She really is. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I'm Ben McKenzie. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time. Same bad channel. And hey, let's begin by that. Box Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. Uh, congratulations, John. You, you did it. You got through the uh, the whole episode without talking to uh, Rob Lloyd about uh, Doctor Who or, or even mentioning Doctor Who isn't pretty that, much isn't at all. Isn't that bizarre? Pretty much no Doctor Who. I mean, because there's been so much stuff going on. There has. Actually, as you say that, there's just some late-breaking news. Yeah. Um, the BBC have just announced who's going to replace Matt Smith as Doctor Who. Oh, my God. Who is it? Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters. Box <laughs> Cutters.